Hey everybody, this is James Lindsay. You're listening to the New Discourses Podcast. And I want to talk about equity. We all know what equity is now, unless you're like Mark Cuban or something. We all know what equity is. Equity is an administered system in which shares are adjusted so that participants are made equal. In other words, it is the reallocation of resources and opportunities to make ever, make outcomes more equal, which in its ideal is to make equal outcomes. So when you say that equity means equal outcomes, that's what you're talking about. Or equalizing is a better word to, to use. It's, it's equalizing outcomes. Uh, as we've discussed in other episodes, especially in my new discourses bullets, we could actually say then that equity means redistribution. It doesn't have to achieve the ideal of equal outcomes to mean redistribution. Um, I did a short episode. I won't recap the whole thing. Uh, New Discourses Bullet, you should check out at some point, where I go through the idea that we should think of diversity, equity, and inclusion as politicize, redistribute, and accommodate to renormalize. And so instead of DEI, it's really PRA. It's we're going to politicize the organization through a diversity push that's diversity to the prevailing value system of the society or the organization. So you're going to bring in counter-hegemonic agents, as Antonio Gramsci might have it under the auspices of diversity, and then you're going to use them to create a so-called inclusive environment to for they're going to demand accommodation not for themselves but for their ideology and what the ideology of woke represents and so you're going to be forced to accommodate into renormalization in other words into changing the uh, organization's values but the value that it's all pointing to is the redistribution under equity that's attempting to make up for historical injustices, or even claimed present injustices under systemic power like systemic racism or homophobia or transphobia or whatever else. In other words, through uh, Marxist class struggle is what it boils down to. Um, and, And the very first page of the Communist Manifesto, chapter one, Karl Marx says that the simplest way to understand his program of communism is that all of history is class struggle, and what that means is oppressor versus oppressed. That's what it actually is, what DEI, in particular equity, is framing in terms of. So equity is about redistributing. The ideal is re- total redistribution, whether you're talking about Lenin, Stalin, Marx, Mao, uh, or the woke today. The ideal is total redistribution to total forced equality, but um, that's not what you usually achieve in practice. And so you end up with this scheme that's designed to redistribute resources in order to make people more equal. Now, here's the, here's the plot twist, you know, three minutes into this, my plot twist is that I want to use this podcast is going to use disability studies, which is one of these woke so-called studies fields in order to make the case that we actually do accept and endorse some equity, some redistribution of shares to make participants more equal. And we should. However, we should not fall for the conflict theory or the the class struggle theory of Karl Marx and woke Marxism. And disability studies actually therefore becomes a very clarifying uh, discussion about the limits of equity. And that's what this is really about. Um, the woke are very, very good. As we've talked about before, communism means marrying a truth to a lie. They're very, very good at marrying the truth that our society does in fact accept some equity 
to promote the lie that we should have total equity, which is the redistribution of shares toward absolute perfect equality. And there's no domain more clarifying to what this is than disability studies. Because as it turns out, the reason is very simple. Disability is literally a physical impediment that may have absolutely nothing to do with the value that you can bring to an organization if you are accommodated or a society or whatever else. If you, let's say you're a super great computer programmer and you could help whatever company become even better at computer programming and do great software for them, but you're in a wheelchair because of an accident or birth or whatever, you're in a wheelchair and you can't actually, let's say that they're their office is on the, the sixth floor of whatever building. You can't get there. You can't get up six floors of stairs. Well, elevators that are designed not just for convenience, but also for handicapped access might make the difference. So imagine it's a smaller outfit. You're a world-class programmer. Their offices are on the third floor in a small building, old building, doesn't have an elevator. Them installing a handicap access elevator enables you to get to the top floor. And they redistributed shares in order to make you, as the person in the wheelchair, more equal such that you're going to be able to now participate and it's actually going to be to their benefit, your benefit, and society's benefit that it happened. So in other words, we accept that level of equity. But the reason we accept that level of equity is that we know that being in a wheelchair has literally nothing at all to do with your capacity as a computer programmer or many other things. It does have your something to do with your capacity to run a marathon or to be a firefighter, but it doesn't have anything to do with your capacity to computer program at all. And that it's not really, I mean, even if you messed up and it was a result of an accident or whatever, that you have to be in a wheelchair, like you can't really, it's not really your fault in a sense that that's the circumstance you're in. You just have to accept the circumstance that you're in for whatever reason. And so that there's, there's actually a net benefit to redistributing the shares to make you able to access the place of employment so that you can do what it is that you're going to do. Um, in other words, we see physically that the impediment is arbitrary to the problem that you're trying to solve with your talents. And when we see that there's an arbitrary impediment that we could spend some resources to overcome that would net benefit you, the organization, and society. In other words, we can spend some resources to get more resources back. It makes total sense to invest in an equity strategy. Now, you might have just heard me say that and say, aha, James, you didn't need that to be equity. Uh, companies that you, we don't need policies, we don't need discrimination acts and all this. Um, people, the companies that want to succeed will find ways to accommodate because it's in their best interest, blah, blah, blah. But there's the question of not just access, and it's very nice in a, in a corporate situation, but it turns out that what if you're in a city and the grocery store is on the second floor? Um, you being able to have a relatively easy access time to be able to do your grocery shopping, which is a pretty core activity for most people in day-to-day -day life, without it being an extra complication, turns out probably overall to be in society's interest and kind of from a moral or humanitarian point of view, sort of the right thing to do. So we also can generally agree, at least as society, we have agreed. There are going to be some people who personally do not agree. But as society, we can generally agree that the equity program to, in fact, to a limited degree, to a reasonable degree, and that's a whole discussion, mandate 
that uh, by law that society be accommodating of disability um, to a reasonable extent. And again, that's the rub. That's the key part that we have to like work with. And that's where the discussion lies. But that's beside the point that I want to make. We generally agree as a society that it is in um, society's best interest to reallocate shares to make uh, arbitrary impediment minimal in how much it impacts the lives of otherwise productive citizens. And that's equity. Or is it? Well, it is an equity program, in fact. It is redistributing shares to make participants or citizens more equal. turns out that you are, in fact, excluded from participation in lots of things by, by dint of your disability, and we can redistribute shares, usually taxpayer, or if a company, like if a grocery store has to pay for it themselves, um, they have to raise prices. So everybody really is paying for that. So it's still a socialized program of redistributing shares to make it so that handicapped people can come in. They probably are not going to attract enough handicapped clientele to come in and um, pay for, you know, expensive renovations. Maybe they will, but probably not, especially since they probably had somebody else doing their grocery shopping for them because they probably still wanted to eat. And so handicap access becomes one of these things where the, the issue is a lot less murky and a lot less personal, at least until the woke get involved. So, and sorry for those of you that are such uber fans of the New Discourses podcast that you've heard this before, because I actually have kind of gone through this before um, in another one of the podcasts in the middle of it, but I wanted to set it aside specifically for its own treatment. Uh, I want to talk about the three models of disability, at least in theory, theorizing how to treat disability. And the three models, in fact, in a sense, there are four models of disability, and I actually want to cover them. And um, as usual, the woke are fixated on the one that's theirs to the exclusion of all others, Whereas normal people would at least accept that the the three that are not woke are um, all relevant in play at the same time to some degree or another uh, under that magic word of reasonable expectations of access. Okay. So the first model of disability is the individual model of disability. That is, you as an individual are disabled by virtue of whatever happened, whether it's an injury, whether it's a you know condition of birth, whatever it happens to be, you're disabled. Maybe you are in a wheelchair, maybe you are blind, maybe you are deaf. There are different types of disability, obviously. And I'm going to kind of shy away from mental disability because that one gets a little murkier for the obvious reason that mental disabilities can, in fact, severely, uh, they're not arbitrary impediments necessarily, right? Um, being crazy or be, being a psychopath, for example, probably is a non-arbitrary legitimate impediment to, that should be screened out for, say, air traffic controllers, just as a, you know, example. Um, or maybe even surgeons. Um, we probably would want to not have, have psychopathic serial killers operating as surgeons very often uh, if we could avoid it. Um, so anyway, the, I'm going to stay out of mental disability, but physical disability makes it very easy, very obvious. So the individual model of disability is that if we were to be 100% pure, strictly the individual model of disability is you're disabled, it's your problem. What that 
that's not a very kind uh, expression of it. And it's also not a very fair expression of what the individual model of disability is. The individual model of disability ultimately says, though, that the primary responsibility for dealing with the challenges associated with the disability fall on the disabled individual themselves. Okay, so we have this model. And we can see that that erects that system of arbitrary impediments um, and, in fact, probably in many cases unjust impediments uh, on this kind of broader view of, in fact, civil rights view of of um, justice. So, okay, fine. So the individual model has to be acknowledged, though, to have some part that's true. It is, whatever your circumstances, abled, disabled, doesn't matter. Fast, slow, fat, thin, doesn't matter. Whatever your circumstances are, at the end of the day, you still, no matter what, as like a law of nature, have individual responsibility for living your life in the circumstances that you have. This is not just the individual model. This is just reality. So the individual model of disability touches upon an important fact of reality, which is that we are each, at the end of the day, individually responsible for our own lives. And taking that personal responsibility is extremely important. But like I said, it also admits of a society, say that we adhered 100% callously to the individual model of disability. Um, what we end up with, you know, it's basically almost a tough luck situation. You're, you're disabled, tough luck. Um, best of luck to you or whatever, you know, and go on about your day. That that admits of a society that, that erects a large number of arbitrary and maybe even in many cases unjust impediments. And a society that's highly functioning and wealthy enough probably has very good cause, not just economic cause, but broader um, social cause to do something about that. Now, that would bring us to the social model of disability, which is a th the third one I want to talk about. So I have to talk about the second one first. The second model of disability, remember the models of disability are how we understand disability, not an explanation of what disability is, at least not until we get to the woke one. The woke one, of course, is going to be a model of what disability is because they're insane. Um, I guess no pun intended with disabilities. Um, the medical model of disability is that disability is a medical problem. This isn't very hard to, to understand. If I am working in the chemical lab and I squirt something in my eyes and I go blind and there is some treatment that could actually fix the part of my eye that was damaged and it can restore my sight, that's a medical procedure. If I were to be working in the kitchen and chop one of my fingers off, not that that's necessarily the biggest disability in the world, and they have the capacity to sew it back on, and make it work again, that's a medical intervention. If I was born blind and they have new higher tech treatments of whatever kind that can restore partial or complete sight or deaf and hearing or whatever, born colorblind, we've all seen these videos of these kids that are, you know, getting to see color for the first time or getting to see for the first time or hear for the first time due to technological interventions. This, of course, dips deeply into the, the Elon Musk Neuralink debate, which can actually overcome paralysis in some or many cases, among other things. Um, tremendous amounts of, of medical possibility for curing disabled situa disability situations. It could include, you know, prosthetics. It could include, in fact, um, robotic prosthetics that kind of function like 
a limb. There are a lot of things that could be going on. It could even at some point even include some kind of weird regenerative regenerative medicine that would allow you to grow back, you know, if you get your, your leg cut off in a car accident that would allow you to grow your leg back down the pike somewhere that's maybe possible. Who knows what's possible? But we'll just assume. So the, the point is that the medical model of disability is that disability is a medical condition. Now, the woke hate this. They call this medicalizing the person. But the fact of the matter is that not in all cases, but in some cases, and in fact, maybe many cases, it is in fact medically relevant. And as medical technology progresses, the fact that there are deaf people has led technology to develop specifically to try to accommodate deafness, which sometimes isn't accommodating, but rather ending deafness, restoring the function or providing for the first time the function of hearing and thus overcoming deafness. Now, the woke get really upset about that. By the way, they don't want people to be cured of their uh, disabilities. They don't even want their disability to be thought of as a medical condition at all, because spiritually, of course, because woke is a spiritual movement. Spiritually, those people are whole and perfect just the way that they are. And if you don't believe that, apparently they believe there'll be some kind of discrimination in all of this. And there's nothing wrong with these people, but it's certainly not the case that it's identical to having full function of all of your intended, um, you know, body parts and organs. So you have the individual model that it is the individual's responsibility to deal with the facts of their disability in society of the medical model that we can treat at least some disability as a, or maybe even all in some sense as a medical condition that can be treated. And you can see how those two interplay together. If there is a medical treatment available, it is your individual responsibility to decide whether or not you want to undergo the procedure, undertake the procedure, and, you know, use that as part of your accommodation strategy for your disability. So you can see that those two work together. This is why I think that this idea that we're going to get rid of or narrow down to a single model of disability is so bad. But you can also see here that treating disability merely as a medical condition, there is the issue that the woke have that it erases, it could erase, in fact, the humanity of the person that we can value regardless of the facts of their disability. Um, just as equally as everybody else, which is the aspiration of, uh, you know, the whole civil rights equality movement. All men are created equal declaration of independence way before that. And so there is that aspect, but it also can create arbitrary impediments and maybe even injustices because those medical treatments might be extraordinarily expensive or they might not actually be very successful or they might be very successful but still fail sometimes causing other problems that only people that are in the condition uh, of disability would face. Okay, so those are those two models at any rate. The third model is the social model of disability. The social model of disability was pioneered first in the UK, and its first major theorist who wrote its first major book was named Michael Oliver. We talk about this in Cynical Theories, for those of you who want to go look that up and check it out. And so Michael Oliver proposed not unreasonably in 1980 when he laid this out, that exactly what I said before, that when we have arbitrary impediments by virtue of one's ability status or disability, as it were, that society uh, has a role to play in um, 
accommodating that disability. Now we're into now we are into the equity model, by the way, but we're not into the woke equity model yet because Michael Oliver's original point was that we should actually look at the social phenomenon of disability, which is that if society, say, latches entirely onto the individual and or medical models and absolutely refuses to see uh, society's role in the challenges, then you have the following problem. that You have disabled people who could participate more fully in society, sometimes to economic benefit overall, sometimes for other reasons, uh, just being more humanitarian or actually humane to do this, um, that they are excluded because of their the, their, their disability, which is often not their fault in any way, and is often just an arbitrary impediment. So a wealthy enough society, as a matter of fact, should actually, has, an, has, has a role to play in ameliorating the effects of disability so that its disabled citizens are more equal. In other words, it should spend money and create policy around handicapped access, handicapped parking spaces, elevators, ramps, um, things that either make sound for the blind or that um, light up or indicate for the deaf. Uh, I always think of those things in the sidewalks in big cities um, where there's texture so you can the blind can walk around on on the path and, and know that they're not wandering into the street by what's under their feet. These are things that require some expenditure. That expenditure is shouldered one way or another through society at large, generally speaking, because if it's done through the government, it's paid for by taxes, and if it's done by corporations, then the corporations are going to raise their fees to cover the cost. They're not necessarily just going to do it out of the goodness of their heart, but even if things do do these things out of the goodness of their heart, the goodness of their heart has to be paid for, and they usually raise money to do that somehow. And so it's still society is largely shouldering the burden. And maybe the disabled people that are going to benefit shoulder more of that burden or not, or depending on how the situation works. But the idea that Michael Oliver put forth was a little woke, but not very woke at the time. And that was that, and this is the radical idea that gets twisted into the fourth version, which is the woke version. The radical idea that, in fact, um, what is causing the disability to be disabling to the person? In other words, presenting the impediments that lead them not to be able to live the same life as everybody else is that society, in fact, is doing so little to accommodate them. Taken to its extreme, as the woke do, this is summarized as society is disabling people who happen to have disabilities because if society were doing everything that they could to ameliorate or accommodate the disability, then the disability wouldn't be really relevant to anybody's day-to-day experience. So society is to blame for the disability, or as they phrase it, society is disabling the, they might say differently abled or whatever, but the disabled. So it's not the fact that you are missing your legs that disables you. It is the fact that society isn't arranged to perfectly accommodate people who are missing their legs. So it's society's fault. That's the fourth model, which is, I will call the woke social model of disability. It's all society's fault. Now, my view is that in reality, the first three are always in play. And this justifies an equity program that becomes the truth within the married truth and lie that the woke tell. 
and the married truth and lie that the woke tell is that it is in fact society that disables you. Okay, so how does it work? Well, you are an individual if you're disabled and you have individual responsibility to live your life, so the individual model applies at least not zero. At the end of the day, literally maybe even getting in and out of bed, you have to take responsibility for how you're going to deal with that fact, the facts of your life, um, whether you're disabled, whether you're able-bodied, whether you're injured uh, temporarily in between, the challenges are yours. That's never, ever not true. However, in many cases, there are reasons to see these issues as medically relevant, and some of them are medically treatable. It is up to the individual in every case, because the individual model holds true, to decide whether or not they want that medical treatment or that medical risk, as it might be. But uh, many disability issues are either medical or medically relevant, I should say, or can become so under advancing technology that's seeking to address that particular disability and its causes. Thirdly, society, when it has the capacity to, which means the wealth to, does have, in my opinion, a at least partial expectation or a reasonable expectation to meet the disabled part way, um, not just because it's more humane, but also because it's in its economic best interests. In fact, it's probably a net positive return on investment that's ne- that's not always easy to um, achieve uh, through purely private action. But this isn't an argument about state power. The libertarians all just turned it off and started yelling about me and said that I'm a, a communist or something. The point is that this is an equity program. But it's a reasonable equity program because the individual and medical models still play a role. They still inform how much responsibility uh, the individual has versus society. And we accept this. And I think we accept this for good reasons. And the arguments to be had on that basis become when are the impediments arbitrary or unjust and thus deserving of our attention, which could become our funding to accommodate. When is a policy reasonable and not reasonable? When is funding justified and not justified? And what we see is the axis that this whole reasonable to accommodate debate would whirl around isn't necessarily the moral argument. It is, in fact, primarily um, the argument of how arbitrary and unjust or and or unjust is the impediment to full participation in society. Now compare the woke view. The woke view is that society is the cause of your disability. Society is disabling you by not fully accommodating you. You can watch some of their videos. They're insane. They show, they show, I've, I've watched a video where they show, pretend that everybody's in a wheelchair except for the, a small freakish number of people who have use of their legs and can walk. Um, they don't really explain why nobody except a very small percentage of people have the use of two of their major appendages. But anyway, 
And so they show the doors are lower, the handles are lower, the counters are lower, everything's built to be wheelchair accessible and accommodating. And what you find is because of the low doors and everything that the people who stand on their two legs find that the doors are the wrong size and shape, that the handles and the, the counters and everything are too low, that they face all these inconveniences, all these challenges by dint of the fact that they're standing on two legs as if they couldn't just get in a friggin' wheelchair and wheel around if they wanted to. And so they're trying to say some, make some point here or whatever about uh, how we have an unfair set of assumptions that people have functioning legs, which turns out to be the overwhelming case, by the way, in society. And we build our society around that without accommodating the fact that it's not true for everybody. And so what they're saying is, in fact, that they're trying to appeal to a weird sense of empathy. Like, think of how bad your life would be if you were caught up in a world that wasn't made for you, that thinks of you as an afterthought or even as an inconvenience. And they try to manipulate that to try to pull your heartstrings, to try to dive into this idea uh, that we need more equity applied to that circumstance. I mean, that circumstance is actually disability overall. They're only using wheelchairs as one example. Now... Um, the thing is that, uh, they want society to absolutely and fully accommodate every possible disability to the point where they're all equally irrelevant. In other words, they want shares of justice so that citizens are literally made equal. That's the vision, which turns out, I think even just with those two circumstances to be actually physically impossible. Um, I've ridden a wheelchair before. <laughs> and there are a lot of cool things you can do in a wheelchair, but you can't strafe very easily. It's the movement, like you, your legs are much more nimble. The, the degrees of movement, those passages you can fit through, um, it's just not the same. And if you were, to, like, that's a physical reality because reality doesn't always present like you could say, oh, well, we're going to build every building and every house. Well, this is such a weird urban view of things. Like I've been outside and had to squeeze like in the mountains and had to squeeze through a crack. Like in a, it doesn't matter even if you could get the wheelchair there, no wheelchair squeezing through that crack, like between two boulders or whatever. It's just you, nature doesn't present, you know, equal opportunity here. Whatever. I don't know if the woke would want us to like then go bore out the rocks to make it equal for everybody, but I think they do want that actually, um, because everything would have to accommodate. So this is their, their model. They're pulling on these heartstrings in order to try to say that the purpose or the reason that the people in wheelchairs are disabled, they're trying to get people to see this by flipping the script. The reason that they're disabled is because society's not doing basically infinitely more to accommodate every possible disability. And that's actually the woke model. This is why um, they, well, this isn't why, I was going to say this is why they, they get mad when you cure a, there's another reason they get mad when you, when you enter the medical model and cure somebody of one of their disabilities, uh, because they want people to identify and become a disabled folk and then radicalize that disabled folk uh, and turn them into activists is why. It's the same reason that they think that you're only legitimately gay if you're queer. Uh, you have to dip into the radical community and be aggrieved and pick up the social model of disability and as little personal responsibility as possible and throw all the responsibility on society. So it is related, actually. Um, but this is their model, and this is crazy pants. 
It's not realistic. It removes all personal responsibility or the individual model, and thus it creates perfect dependency in the name of liberation from any responsibility, which is, of course, uh, a farce. At the end of the day, every human being is still going to have to be responsible for themselves because they are individuals, whether they like it or not. It doesn't matter how many communities you join, you're still an individual. At the end of the day, you're still that atomic unit as part of whatever community, and that's their model. So, what did I want to do with this? So now we have, we have this picture of the crazy woke social model of disability that society disables you. And then we have these other three models that I say actually all three of which are kind of true to a degree, which is that society can and should accommodate people because if it doesn't, it is presenting ultimately arbitrary impediments and unjust impediments to certain people's lives. But sometimes the issue is medical and can be addressed or will be able to be later. And at the end of the day, it's always personally responsible. And this gives us a clear, clear view into the limits of equity, right? When, when are we going to justify a social model, in other words, an equity model of some kind of, around some kind of issue? The answer that we get from disability studies by rejecting the woke idiocy, which is insane, is that when the impediment that is there is concrete, probably material, and it is unambiguously caused by the thing you're accommodating, and when it's still reasonable to do so. In fact, the people involved still are expected to meet part way. And how do I know that? Well, because we haven't built out all of society to be perfectly wheelchair accommodating to the point where people with wheelchairs never run into a single challenge um, getting around, for example. Uh, we have very cool technology allowing blind people to navigate, but they're still blind. They still don't know what the Mona Lisa looks like, and they're just not gonna. And so that's a, they don't know what, you can't even tell them what red looks like. I mean, it's like, it's a very distinct experience of the world. And so we get this very clear sense that in order to justify an equity program, we have to have real material impediments that are arbitrary or unjust that we can make some degree of reasonable accommodation to meet partway. Not that we're going to solve the whole problem for everybody all the time. It's still got some individual responsibility. So what about like putting, what about Actually, let's just pivot and talk about positive discrimination because that's the, another word for equity is positive discrimination, or actually it's the mechanism of equity. And so some of you will have saw, I put it on Twitter some time ago, um, this document that was written by the HR director at a company called Hacker Earth, but it was published actually um, by Workable, which is one of the largest uh, largest uh, outfits that provides, you know, workplace advice, and what, what am I looking for? Um, hiring uh, staffings. And so they have this this document. <laughs> the title of the document is Positive Discrimination. What is it and how can you implement it? I will point out that at no point in the entire document do they tell you, even though there's a word of caution at the end, that implementing positive discrimination is still implementing discrimination, is still against the um, Civil Rights Act, and is still going to get you sued. They never mention that. What they do say instead is positive discrimination refers to preferential treatment aimed at bringing underrepresented groups to a level of equity in the workplace. Okay, so that's exactly what we were talking about. 
literally. So what we're saying is that when we have a physical impediment that generates injustice or uh, a genuine lack of access that's arbitrary. So you have the some kind of a, a physical situation. You have, you have an actual situation that's causing a genuine impediment. Uh, that's whether it's unjust or just um, a, a lack of access. Uh, then we tend to think that maybe we're going to engage in a little equity work. We're going to try to redistribute the shares of society in order to make some accommodation. And there are two primary arguments for this: one being economic, and one being um, moral or humanitarian. Uh, in fact, just uh, maybe humane is a better way to put it. And what the mechanism here is, is positive discrimination refers to preferential treatment. So if you're building special stuff for disabled people, you are giving them some preferential treatment. If you don't think that that's true, I urge you to go look at where the handicapped parking spaces are. They're in the front. They're wider. They're easy. They're completely reserved with huge fines if you violate and park in them without the proper documentation and tags. So we are giving people preferential treatment. So it refers to preferential treatment aimed at bringing and this says underrepresented groups, but if you have no handicapped access, they're obviously underrepresented. Underrepresented groups to a level of equity, the to- the end of which is equal outcomes, by the way. Um, and, and this says here in the workplace because that's the context, but really anywhere in society. We agree that when it is an, a, a, an unjust or arbitrary impediment blocking people from access arbitrary being the key here. Like they could contribute positively, but there's some completely, uh, completely arbitrary to the the circumstance, like their working capacity or their need to buy groceries. Being disabled doesn't change the fact of whether or not you can be a computer programmer, for example, uh, that's, that's put in the way. Then we think maybe it's okay to do a little preferential treatment, treatment or redistribute shares to make these people more equal. In other words, we accept equity. But this isn't the equity of the woke social model. That goes on in this document. It says implementing positive discrimination involves conducting DEI research, implementing a shared vocabulary, selecting leaders who believe in equity. So it's a religion and then it'll work and keeping an ongoing dialogue around the subject. But what they're actually pushing is positive discrimination. And what we're seeing is that it only really applies when we, we only really think it's justified when there's an actual impediment. So what if there was actual negative discrimination? What if we were actively discriminating, say, against women in boardrooms, since that actually gets brought up in this document? We don't think women should be allowed to be CEOs. If there was an actual policy that says that, well, then we might, and we have, it's called the Civil Rights Act, strike that policy down. Um, in, In other words, we already have gone to rather great lengths to remove intentional negative discrimination. But is it enough? Let's say that there are, let's say 20% of CEOs are, are women. I don't know what the number is, but it's probably somewhere around there. Is that, is that, is that the, the split female to male is 2080? Is that enough of a justification to say that we need to implement some kind of an equity program to put more women in boardrooms? Now, this is extremely popular. The, this is something that's happening all over the place. It was It's sometimes mandated by law that people do this. California got in a bunch of trouble for putting quota systems on its boards, and its Supreme Court had to strike this down just a few years ago. And so um, it turns out not to be legal to do that, but it's rip, written all through all of this DEI stuff, the woke model. And the answer is generally no. 
we shouldn't because we can't identify what the arbitrary impediment is that generates an injustice that we should thus pay for or uh, redistribute around in order to create more equity. There's no reason whatsoever to think that the actual proportion of women in CEO positions, and it could be racial minorities or whatever else, it doesn't matter, we're going to use women for the moment, is caused by anything in particular. It could just be a fact of how human beings organize themselves in society or how they pick their activities. But the woke model is not that. The woke model is that it is society's fault that there is a disability or an impediment at all. So girls are raised with systemic patriarchy to believe that they can't or shouldn't be CEOs or that that's a man's job or that they have the wrong kind of temperament for it or that they're too emotional or that they have to prioritize on other things like family and kids and instead of being a girl boss. And so they, the claim by the woke is that society, in fact, is socially organized to create conditions that generate those arbitrary impediments. In other words, the discrimination might not be happening at the boardroom in policy or in decisions made by people there. The, the discrimination might be happening through the pervasive activities of society itself. It's the same idea as a social model of disability. But when you take the social model of disability off the table and say, no, that's ridiculous, we're going to talk about individual medical and um, social, and we're going to talk about reasonable accommodations to overcome arbitrary impediment, which is unjust, you get a lot of clarity here. You, it becomes very obvious now why, first of all, the, the woke argument is ridiculous. Um, we see always getting involved in these details of a woke argument is a waste of time. It's not the point. But we see society has been bending over backwards to try to get women involved in these things, and the numbers barely budge. Turns out that there are probably underlying forces that are not a quiet system of patriarchy that's impossible to overcome without girl bosses seizing the means of production. As it turns out, there are probably other forces involved. The most gender equal societies, they hate when you bring this up, the most gender equal societies on the planet actually have some of the most gender biased career choices on the planet. Uh, because it's when you allow people to make their choices, they make their choices according to what they want. And it turns out that men and women, statistically speaking, don't necessarily always want the same things. So they do things differently from one another. Equity says, no, 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 society is brainwashing people into that. The discrimination is still there. Discrimination is bad, so we have to overcome that. And so their answer to the negative discrimination that's pervading all of society like dark magic is to intentionally do positive discrimination. And that's, in fact, the last line in this weird document um, is, in fact, uh, the very end at the word of caution, never cautioning that you're going to get sued for discriminating. It says po practicing positive discrimination to simply fill a company quota. Uh-oh, they're going to tell you that's illegal big time, right? Of course not. It's as harmful as taking up diversity hiring just to meet some numbers. Actually, no, it's not as harmful. That's literally, it's the same thing. Filling a company quota and to meet some numbers is the same thing. The person who wrote this is clearly a moron. It's equally harmful because they're identical. What they say, though, is that it, why is it harmful? It inadvertently perpetuates bias and affects the morale of the company. Vague sociological claims, no evidence put behind them. No, the reason that practicing positive discrimination at a company needs to be met with a word of caution is because it's illegal. You're going to get sued. It is in violation of the Civil Rights Act, which is an, ultimately an expression of the 14th Amendment. So it's 
it, it's a violation of the 14th Amendment in the United States. So they go on to say, per, she goes on to say, personally, the trick here is to keep equity at the front of mind and not lose sight of that, and then use positive discrimination to create better opportunities and visibility for underrepresented groups. In other words, it's not a quota if you don't call it a quota, so that makes it okay, but you have to keep it at the front of your mind. That's the key. It's all about your mental state. And she gets very clear on that. The main word to place the spotlight on here would be, quote, to be given equal opportunity slash visibility. Use the lens, she tells us, use the lens of merit accordingly for all the candidates in consideration, practice with intent and not just for the sake of it. So her remedy to this is that if you mean well enough in the spirit of equity, which is going to correct for the harms, the arbitrary harms of society, then it's okay for you to do positive discrimination to overcome something that's not even discrimination, because the discrimination is apparently diffuse throughout society. So do you see that if you're still lost here, do you see the difference between women who might or might not want to become CEOs and a guy in a wheelchair who can't get up the stairs? Because if you can't see the fucking difference between those two things, I can't help you. Because that's what's at the heart of this. When there is a material impediment that creates an injustice, we do equity to a reasonable degree that still recognizes the individual responsibility of the person involved. When there's differences in outcome that are then explained through systemic powers that are causing discrimination in invisible ways... We do not do equity. That call for equity is bogus. The interpretation of discrimination itself, which ultimately in employment comes from Griggs versus Duke Power, which we should talk about for a minute, is spurious. It is not a legitimate claim for the redistribution of shares. No company has any obligation to try to make more women be CEOs because there is no material impediment to women becoming CEOs. Companies probably should be required by the American Disabilities Act to make accommodations for disabled employees because there are material impediments to those people providing their services and interacting in a full manner based on the fact that they're in an effing wheelchair. This isn't that hard. So systemic explanation for why we need equity? Bogus. Material explanation for why there could be equity? Met at a reasonable level where the, the, the aspects of reasonability are the object of discussion. It has to be a material problem that causes an arbitrary or unjust impediment. Now, positive discrimination, just to be clear, is still discrimination, and discrimination is still illegal. Uh, but positive discrimination is their fancy word for, um, for, for achieving equity, for meeting quotas without saying that they're meeting quotas. But let's be real clear about positives. This is what equity requires. Positive discrimination requires, by definition, negative discrimination. If you're discriminating for certain groups, you are also discriminating against the other groups. You cannot hire intentionally, supposing you're going to hire the same number of people overall, which is probably the case. You cannot hire more women intentionally without hiring fewer men intentionally. At that point, you are discriminating against men by discriminating for women. You think you got to work around, but you're not. In other words, 
what this is in terms of the, I know I'm going to get laughed at by the Christian nationalists who want to discredit me because they're playing the same game, but in the terms of the Hegelian dialectic that's ultimately operating under leftist thought, what you had in society was uh, you had negative discrimination. You were discriminating against people from getting employment. That's pre-civil rights. That was deemed bad, So, but that's the, that's the thesis. And then the antithesis is that we're going to strike down discrimination. We're going to say discrimination is wrong. There will not be discrimination. And the synthesis that they've come up with, which is a new kind of discrimination, is positive discrimination. We're not going to discriminate against men to make up for the fact of fewer women and past discrimination against women. We're going to discriminate for women to make up for that. That's their logic. It's yes, no, yes in a new and higher and better way. In other words, yes, discriminate, no, don't discriminate, yes, discriminate, but positively. And so this is the stupid trick that they've invented, but it's still discrimination. It's ultimately Kendi. It, uh, Ibram Kendi is at the heart of this. The only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. It's a quote straight from How to Be an Anti-Racist. The only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. That's Kendi, page 19 on the first edition of his book. He changed it later, because uh, so I've seen. I don't know if that's totally true. I didn't check it myself uh, by going and getting a new copy of the book. But uh, he changed it because it, it got him in so much trouble. Um but that's what this is about, and we can have this clarity on what equity is about by looking at that. So what about this Griggs versus Duke power? So let's talk about that for just a second. So the reason why all of our civil rights law and employment has been so biased and so messed up for so long, the reason that all of the equity crap is going on, all this inclusion and diversity hiring is going on, really comes down to kind of two things, one of which is the... Um, Johnson's executive order, uh, 11-246, which was affirmative action. It was, hey, we've been discriminating against people, so we're going to now discriminate for those people. Literally, that's the affirmative action policy from 1965 that President Johnson signed. It was an executive order. It was never made a law. Um, and the point was to allegedly level the playing field coming straight out of that uh, segregation and Jim Crow era uh, Pre-Civil Rights Act, which was signed in 1964, by the way. So the next year he signs the affirmative uh, action thing. Well, as it turns out, the logic behind this isn't just that executive order because it had to get upheld in court and it wasn't this specific thing. But in 1971, there was a famous Supreme Court decision called Griggs versus Duke Power, where the Duke Power Company um, was... Uh, giving an aptitude test uh, to allow people to move from working on the floor to working in management. And only the people who passed the aptitude test could work in the higher level of, of the power company. And uh, it turns out that there was more white people passing the aptitude test than black people, and people sued and said that the test was evidence of discrimination, and in fact the test was discriminatory trying to keep black people out of management jobs. And this case ended up going to the Supreme Court, and although nobody at any point in anything in the test could find anything that would be inherently discriminatory, the fact that there was a difference proportionally in outcomes, so if 100 white people took the test, however many passed, and 100 black people took the test, fewer passed. So a smaller proportion, a lower percentage of black people took the test, uh, passed the test, and a greater proportion of white people that took the test passed the test. This is called disparate impact logic. There was a disparate impact to the test uh, by racial category. It was determined by the court 
that that must be evidence, even without intention to discriminate, of discrimination hidden somewhere in the system. All of a sudden, this systemic explanation comes in. Maybe it's the way that their family life is. Maybe it's the way that they're raised. Maybe it's their educational level. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's the the questions themselves are biased. Maybe the uh, the test was implemented for reasons that look like they're business relevant, but actually uh, the implicit or unconscious biases of the white management don't want black people to be able to pass the test, whatever. So there's this now vague system of evil spirits of systemic racism that are actually causing the test to uh, have proportionally more white people than black people that pass it. And therefore the test having that disparate impact or disparate outcome, there's your inequity differences in outcome. That's what inequity actually means is evidence can be treated as evidence of employment discrimination, even if there's no evidence at all whatsoever discernible of intent to discriminate. That was the Griggs versus Duke power decision in 1971. And literally that Supreme Court case has opened the door to all of this. It has been the backbone of being able to defend affirmative action, aka positive discrimination, aka equity programs ever since. And what we see is that its entire logic depends on the thing that the disability discussion throws out. It's not the individual issue, and it's not uh, a social issue. It is a woke social issue. It is that systems of hidden systems of power are pervading society, and we have to literally redistribute shares through positive discrimination in order to make up for not just past differences, which maybe had a point in the in the shelf life, but also the fact that there are disparate outcomes. In other words, inequities in outcomes that now have to be adjusted for. And that is what we just said with the girl bosses has to be disqualified when we see this clearer light. As a society, and this is the punchline, and I don't have to keep rambling about this, make it short and sweet. As a society, as a wealthy and moral and caring and charitable society. These are genuine virtues. The Christians can claim a lot of this uh, as it being part of our, our heritage. As that, I agree that there is an interplay between the models of disability, in particular individual and social. We don't have to talk necessarily about medical here. It is partly on the individual to manage the individual's life, and it is partly on society to make reasonable accommodations that overcome arbitrary impediment, which is unjust. What that means is we accept under certain conditions a measure of equity, and I think that those conditions are that there are material impediments that end up being uh, creating arbitrary or unjust restriction to access. And so we say, you know what, we're going to adjust some shares to make those citizens more equal. In other words, we're going to use reasonable equity, and we're going to argue about, in terms of public debate, what the limits are to that reasonability. And there's a lot there, by the way. Is it reasonable for every little mom and pop shop or air or sorry, or bed and breakfast, every single one of them to have full handicap access with elevators and everything else? Probably not. It is probably too onerous for the federal government or state governments to come in and say that the degree has to be that high. Um, on the other hand, should we have stuff on the sidewalk? Should we have handicapped parking spaces? Should larger um, facilities, especially you know larger shopping facilities and workplaces, make 
accommodations for these people. Not only that it might be to their economic benefit, but because it's the right thing to do, even if it's not. Yeah, probably so. And the argument is what is and isn't is and is not, I want to be very clear about that, reasonable in that context. But we're arguing around a material impediment that creates arbitrary restriction to access. What does arbitrary restriction to access mean again? Arbitrary means that it has nothing to do with what you're accessing, right? It's arbitrary restriction to access for a person in a wheelchair not to be able to get to a computer programming job has nothing to do with it. So we generally agree on that kind of thing. However, and we, we, we see that there's limits to this too, right? Like there's absolutely nothing that says anywhere in this that, you know, every person in a wheelchair has to be, if they want it, give it full paid for access to a $10 million bio suit or, you know, mechanical suit that lets them walk around that we don't see, we don't think that's reasonable. We just actually don't. You don't get to have an exoskeleton and like a Japanese mech thing or whatever because you happen to be in a wheelchair and everybody else has to pay for it. We don't see that as a reasonable accommodation because we see this interplay between uh, a reasonable interpretation of social obligation and a clear understanding of individual obligation. That's the correct understanding of equity. When there are arbitrary impediments, we can do something about them. And then we de debate what constitutes being reasonable. And the various people that are involved can bring their cases to adjust where that line of reasonability lies. That can include, in fact, the medical aspect, which is that maybe we should invest more money. Maybe the National Science Foundation or something like that should dump money into trying to overcome blindness or something, just to pull one out of the air. Okay. What we don't agree to is the woke model, which is when there are systemic magical powers that are actually disabling people or causing the impediments, but that you can't actually find them. That it's the spirit of society that's failing some minority group or historically uh, minoritized is their word group. That's nobody's obligation. There's, there's, there's no evidence of a material or a meaningful impediment that we think is unjust that needs to be overcome just because the chips land where they land. And that is a very clarifying view about equity and what the limits of equity in a uh, healthy uh, society should look like. And I think that it should, I think it was just worth sitting down and talking it through for an hour and presenting these ideas. I frankly think about it a lot and have done now. I mean, I first discovered this when we were writing cynical theories in early 2019. So I've been thinking about this for like five years and it's just extremely clarifying so i wanted to share it with you at full length and and kind of give it its own space i hope it's been clarifying for you too 